0: I'm getting a lot out of this Sunday evening series. It's based on passages you have recommended. In many cases, a favorite passage that has particular meaning for you. And I continue to get responses, not only from people here, but from people who listen to these sermons in our internet venue. Sunday evening sermons are scheduled and covered through the end of December based on this and there is no deadline if you have something you want to submit to me that could be covered after the scheduled sermons in December send me a text with that passage hand me a note or send me an email tonight please open to the book of Job in the Old Testament our target ...is the last three verses of Job chapter 1. But of course, in the interest of context, that means we need to be familiar with chapter 1. So, I want to take us through Job chapter 1. And I'll pause in the reading as we go through the chapter and get us to those last few verses. And then, of course, there will be takeaways that we will get to near the end of our study. We're gonna see several good things about this man, Job, and then we're going to learn that some horrible things happen to Job and his family. Then we'll concentrate on his response as documented near the end of Job chapter one. So just start with verse one. There was a man in the land of Uz, "...whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil." Let's stop there for just a moment. Everything about this is good so far. Look at the words and phrases in Job chapter 1 verse 1. "...blameless and upright, feared God, turned away from evil." Uh, there's nothing hidden here. No complicated mystery in Job chapter 1 verse 1. No backstory that we have so far. This is just the description of a good man. And then add to that in verse 2, a good family. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. I think we would classify that as a big family. And in that culture that was considered to be a blessing to have a big family good man good big family more about that family situation in just a few minutes and then you're gonna have to support that big family so there was good business agricultural success verse 3 he possessed 7,000 sheep 3,000 camels Five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. In that time, where agriculture was a family's livelihood, This is good business success. You're going to need all of this to take care of all those people in your family. This, in that particular time, was prosperity, which was necessary if you have this kind of a family to support. But now, back to family life, it appears that they had a good, happy family time, especially on birthdays. I kind of like birthdays. In verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So that's basically what we might call a birthday party. It may remind us a good family time. The noon meal on Sundays for many people that we know about. Family traditions, our holidays. So far, this is all reading very good. Good man, good family, good success and prosperity. And of course, a lot of birthday parties. But now, very important. This next step we're going to take is Job was not only a man who feared God himself, he wanted the people in his family to fear God. His family relationship with God was a priority for him, according to verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is not something that just occurred to Job every now and then when he was in a religious mood. He did this continually. He was concerned about his family's relationship with God. So, let's say that everything from verse 1 down through verse 5, we're going to call good. Now, we're taken to another scene. Beginning with verse 6, the writer takes us somewhere else where Job isn't present. But there is what might be called a transaction that takes place that has direct impact on Job's life. We're going to read now verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's Job chapter 1 verses 6 through 12. And for our purposes tonight, it doesn't serve us well to dig into that and apply a lot of analysis to every word and phrase. Or to spin theories or speculate or try to objectively explain all of this. For our purposes tonight, we simply say this happened. And as a result of this meeting, God, who is almighty, sovereign, has all power, granted Satan some space. Gave Satan some rope, it might be said, to exert extraordinary pressure to test Job. And now we come to this next part in verses 13 through 19. Bad things began to happen. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them, and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another, And said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels, and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, as you read that, your first emotion is, this is hard to imagine. Just to read it and try to picture it, it's hard to imagine. I don't know anyone who has suffered this kind of tragedy with this scope or scale. And then after these initial trials, we know that Job became seriously ill. And we know from chapter 2 and verse 9 that his wife was resentful of this whole situation and she walked away. And his friends showed up and they become miserable comforters. Before it all happened, I want to emphasize again, before it all happened, in the midst of this initial shock of losing the farm and your children and your workers, when he has time to react, we have an indication that before all of this, he had a relationship with God that fortified him. Because, listen to this, then Job arose. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped, and he said, "Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, the writer adds, Job did not sin or charge. God with wrong. Once again, my first emotion after reading that is wow. Let's talk about it. He tore his robe and shaved his head. In that ancient culture, this was the typical response to tragedy. This was grief expressed dramatically. In modern Western culture, we don't react this way. This is not the typical way that we in the Western culture would express grief. But this was grief expressed dramatically in that culture. In some Eastern cultures and Middle Eastern cultures today, this is still the way they express grief in very dramatic and public ways. You'll see news reports from time to time about some tragedy. And people who are mourning will cry out publicly. In some cases, they will beat their chest. They will throw dust over their heads and tear their clothes and shave their heads. Those outward actions signify inward grief in those cultures. And that's what we see in the case of Job and others during Old Testament times. But notice what else. Job fell on the ground and worshiped. We all know people today who react to tragedy just in the opposite way. Rather than riding a storm of pain and suffering based on faith, They ride that storm of pain and suffering based on a denial of the faith. People often turn away from God when suffering hits. They renounce him. They deny his power and his love. One example of that, by the way, is in Job chapter 2 verse 9 that I mentioned earlier. After Job became ill, his wife said, curse God and die. That's her response to the storm of pain and suffering, not Job. See, Job hadn't lost everything. He still had God. He didn't turn from God. He didn't turn to idolatry. He didn't become a worldly person. He didn't become bitter toward people. He still had God. So the full force... Of the testing that God allowed so far did not take Job away from God as Satan no doubt expected and was now disappointed. So Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the writer adds the commentary in verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Here's a Bible principle. Job knew it well, I believe, before this book was published, Job knew it well. We bring nothing into the world, and we carry nothing out. Now, you have to remember here that Job wasn't present for that meeting behind the scenes at the throne of God. He doesn't know about the deal. So understand all of this reaction of Job within that context, that he doesn't have the full picture. He speaks of what he understands at the moment. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. It was actually Satan who did the taking. God gave him the permission for a time. But Job is understanding all of this in the moment with no lessened confidence in his maker nor any denial of his maker. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Job said. And the writer adds in all this... He did not sin or charge God with wrong. What do we take from this in Job chapter 1? Four points. Let us agree with Job about God's sovereignty. Sovereignty as attributed to God is something we often try to define with a systematic theological book or a lexicon let's let scripture define God's sovereignty Psalm 135 in verse 6 whatever I please I do in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deeps God is saying whatever I please I do that's your definition of sovereignty Ephesians 1 and verse 11, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's sovereignty. Sovereignty of God is further described in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, where God says, (coughs) I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. These are passages that define the sovereignty of God. And it can be said, based on these and many other pa- uh, passages in the Old Testament and New, there are no limits to God's authority or rule. He is never helpless never crippled, never at a loss. Job came to this conviction before he was stormed with tragedy. That's the time to become acquainted with God and his sovereignty. That's the time to know your creator as early as you can before tragedy Prepare for storms by understanding who God is. That his absolute authority and sovereignty stands far above our earthbound perceptions. Let us agree with Job about God's sovereignty. As we read the Bible and listen to it delivered, we become acquainted with the creator and his power and his might. And that conviction will serve us well. When tough times come, it becomes trust in God that holds us up. The more we become acquainted with him before the storm of tragedy hits. We can trust him who is all-powerful, who knows us individually by name. He is our refuge and our redeemer. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens And his sovereignty rules over all. Psalms 103, verse 19. Those are things we need to learn and believe to survive the storms that could come that we cannot see today. Briefly, I want to mention the expression of grief is human. Though we may suppress it in our culture... The expression of grief is human. It is natural. And there is no prohibition against the legitimate expression of grief. There is not custom in our culture to tear clothing, to wail publicly, to throw dust on our bodies. But grief... The expression of grief, mourning, is a normal human reaction. Let's not tell people not to cry. That's kind of a habitual impulse that I had many years ago, and maybe maybe some of you had, where somebody would cry and we would say, just as an impulse, we'd say, don't cry. I tell you, God... Gave us tears. In fact, the New Testament not only says weep, it says weep with those who weep. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. We cannot bind some cultural custom on anyone, but we can say with the Bible as our authority that grief is natural. Number three, bless the Lord in all circumstances. I think there are times in life when it's easier to bless the Lord. And blessing the Lord means to speak well of Him. To be submissive to Him with fear and trembling and abundance of gratitude. When things are going well that may not be as challenging as it becomes later when storms hit. When you are especially blessed with gifts that you didn't expect, when you have good health and you're surrounded by good people and everybody in the family is doing well, in those times it isn't difficult to praise God and speak well of Him, but The Bible teaches us to bless him and praise him in all circumstances. And Job illustrates that for us. David illustrates that. The prophets illustrate that. Paul illustrates that. Paul wrote of it in Philippians 4.11 when he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. What a challenge that is for disciples of Christ. And Philippians four eleven is from an epistle Paul wrote when he wasn't going through good times. He was incarcerated. But he said over and over again, Rejoice in the Lord. That's what we need to learn and nourish before the troubled days come. Now let's take all this. Let's take all this over into the New Testament. Where we are told that believers in Christ can survive. Two, make that three, New Testament passages Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's this simple to get through the storms, hear and do what Jesus said, and do that now, and keep doing it after the storm hits, and you'll stand. That's resting on the sovereignty of God who gave all authority to Jesus Christ. James chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 2 in James chapter 1. And I'm going to read through verse 12 and then there'll be a final passage I'll read to wrap up. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various to those who love him steadfast fast in trials it doesn't mean that you'll not need help in fact this says you will need help but this says ask for God's help I said when I was gonna take this to the New Testament there'd be a third passage that'll help me wrap everything up we've been talking about. And this passage is James 5, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He didn't really understand what was happening, nor did his friends. Later God would speak to him and it would be clearer. And Job would be blessed and restored to a better life. Let's remember that his storm of trouble didn't take him away from his full trust and confidence in God. May it be so with each of us. Let's be standing as we sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus.